Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, my name is Jay, pastor here at Community Fellowship. We're glad you're here this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. We're so glad that you're here, and uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope the room and uh, the accommodations are uh, appropriate. We've tried to space everything out to keep social distancing and, and all those things. And so I also want to welcome those that are streaming uh, the service this morning. Uh, we have some church family and some friends that are also watching uh, in the comfort of their home. And so uh, they didn't dress up for church this morning. They're probably still in their pajamas, and, uh, but that's okay, man. We're so glad that they're, they're watching this morning. And so how are the kids doing this morning? Everybody doing good? All the kids doing good? Okay, you can talk right now. Your mom and dad won't get on to you. Uh, maybe in a few minutes. There we go. There's, there's Scotty back there. She's going to give the shout out. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning, and uh, in, your, in your seat when you came in, uh, there's just a little set of sermon notes, and so if you want to follow along, uh, feel free to do that as we get going in the, in the passage. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3, and uh, we've been working through the book of Colossians the last several weeks, and so we like to take a book of the Bible and just kind of expositionally preach and teach through it, uh, and God has some tremendous things for us. Colossians is one of those books I think I said this last week, I'll say it again this week, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short read as it relates to the scripture, just a few chapters, but it really takes a lifetime to master uh, the principles that are in the book of Colossians. And I really think that as a Christian, if you will devote the rest of your life to learning these principles and then trying to apply these things to your life, uh, wow, it will make a tremendous difference in this life and also when we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. And so uh, it, it's a powerful book. Uh, for us to learn as Christians. And so I'm glad you're here this morning. And, and uh, let me just remind us, if you weren't with us last week or, or maybe you've, you, you missed a couple of weeks, let me just catch you up to speed. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And so last week we talked about changing a perspective and, and, and seeking the things that are above and setting our affection on things above. God, God wants to deal with our mind first. God, God wants to, in order for us to experience transformation, God wants to redirect uh, our mind toward heavenly things, to the things that are above. And we went through a lot of what those things were last week and so uh, if you missed that, we'll try to get that uploaded this week to the website so you can catch that sermon. Uh, so this week, the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, is going to transition from our minds now to our deeds, to our, to our actions, to the way that we live our life. And I do want to remind us before we get into this text that, that, that Paul is writing this epistle to Christians. He's writing this epistle to, to saints in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like us. As a matter of fact, in Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2, in the introduction to this epistle, the Bible tells us, Paul, an epistle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints, listen, and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I wanted to mention that again for us this morning is that, is that, that we would hopefully say and have the testimony that we are saints, we're born again, we're in Christ, we're saved. And these believers at Colossae, Paul never got there, at least in the, in the canon of New Testament scripture, he desired to get to that church and to, and to spend time with them, but, but he, he heard of their testimony. He said, man, you're not only saints, 
Word on the street is that you are faithful brethren. And what a tremendous testimony, right? God help us to be, be that kind of Christian. Let us, let us be found faithful in the eyes of other people, in the eyes of other churches, other Christians, and even in the lost world. Help us to be found faithful, amen? The reason that's important is because as we start unpacking this passage today, Paul's going to deal with some things that, that they need to get rid of in their life. And he's going to deal with some, some actions, some deeds that need to be mortified, they need to be put to death, and he's even going to deal with some things that need to be put off. And, and, and think of it as in changing a garment, changing clothing, things that literally need to be taken off and never put on again so that you can put on the right things to look the right way as a child of God. And, and I, as we get into the topics and the specifics of this passage just understand that he is writing this to born-again believers that are already faithful in Christ. And, and, and yet they needed to receive this instruction. And my admonition to us is, man, help us to be faithful in the Lord, but we still need this instruction. Amen? And so let's pray again, and then we'll read the text, and then we'll start breaking it down uh, verse by verse. Father, again, thank you for the morning. Uh, Lord, it, it is so wonderful uh, to be in your house, uh, to worship you. Uh, Father, this is our, our place of rest, our place of solace, uh, our place of community. Uh, Lord, uh, we are not ignorant of what's happening in our world and in our city and in our culture. Uh, but Father, we know that the answer is Christ. Uh, and, and, and we know that because we've experienced the peace and the forgiveness and the identity that we have in Christ Jesus. And, and Lord, help us to take that message to this world and to this city and to our community uh, because they need it. Uh, because ultimately you are the answer. And so, Lord, as we, as we study this uh, passage today, God, there are some things that we need to learn to put off, to mortify, and there's some things that we need to learn to put on as faithful brethren in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to receive these things and apply them to our life, and we'll give you the glory for it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start in verse 4. And, uh, and the first point for study this morning is, who should we be looking for? And, I, and as we get into this passage of Scripture... Uh, Colossians chapter 3 gives us a very specific thing and person that we should be looking for, and that person is Christ. And, and you know, I think this is an important point to make this morning because many of us that study the Bible, that we study end times, we study prophecy, we can look at our culture and our world and see the thing unraveling, and we can say, you know what, it's just the last days, right? It's, it's the last days, it's the end of the church age, it's right before the rapture of the church, it's right before the tribulation, and all the, the technicalities of things that we talk about in Christian circles. And listen, if we're not careful, we can actually be looking at the wrong thing as a child of God, as a faithful brethren, and, and there is something very specific, someone very specific that we should be looking for, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4, Colossians 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so every Christian is tasked through the Word of God to actually be looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've said it last week, I'll say it again today is a great day. Today is a great day for the rapture. Okay, half of you believe that, the other half not so much. All right, the other half of you are like, I don't know, man, I got, I got stuff I need to get right before the, before the Lord comes. We'll give you time if the Lord tarries till the end of the sermon. You can, you can get those things right at the invitation, but today's a good day for the rapture. The, t today's a good day for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, the, the Bible tells us in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14 that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2 and verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, I don't know how you wake up in the morning. I wake up pretty grouchy and pretty grumpy. No, no, where's my wife? I just got to make sure she's on that side of the room. Okay, so, but listen, in, in all seriousness, every day I wake up and I think today could be the day. Today, today, hopefully, prayerfully is the day that the Lord comes. And I, and I selfishly pray that and ask for that because I don't want to deal with people. And I don't want to deal with me. I don't want to deal with you. No offense. Okay. It's, I mean, it's better that the Lord just comes and I don't preach the sermon. Amen. Amen. We need to be looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, there's a couple of more verses in your text, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. They all tell us that Christ is going to appear. And so don't have your head in the sand, Christian. Look for his appearing. When you look for his appearing, it's going to change the way that you live. Because you're anticipating his return. It's going to prepare your mind. By the way, we, we studied this last week. We're to seek those things which are where? Above. And we're to set our affection on things above. Listen, that's where Christ is. And that's where he's going to come from. And so when we start looking for his appearing, well, listen, well, then it's going to have an impact on our life. And so that's when we get into this main portion of the text. The next text, verses 5 to 7, list for us. Several things, five things that need to be mortified, that need to be mortified. They need to be dealt with in our life. Actually, they need to be brought as if they were dead in our life. Now, let's read the text. Colossians 3, verses 5 to 7 says this, mortify, and the next word is really important, therefore. The word therefore in your Bible means, what is it therefore? Well, he just told you in verse 4, Christ is going to appear. We're going to be like him. We're going to see him in his glory. We're going to receive glorified bodies. Listen, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And listen, there are some things that are listed here. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. Five things, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. And so God tells us because we are looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be some things that are mortified in our body to make dead. Um, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks in, in Colossians 2, we dealt with three different types of people that we find in the church, we find in religious circles. One, is the legalist, right? And he defines spirituality by a, a set of Old Testament standards that don't specifically apply to you as a New Testament Christian. It's okay to eat bacon in God's eyes and wear cotton and linen mixed together, okay? And other things that we could talk about, we did talk about. Spirituality is not defined by a legalistic set of rules and standards. Secondly, we were introduced to, the, to a mystical person. In other words, a person that had mystical experiences, extra-biblical revelation, dreams, visions, 
I saw Jesus standing at the foot of my bed and he had a conversation with me. Okay, you can't base spirituality on your experiences. Spirituality is based on what God's Word says and a right walk with Him. And so the mystic doesn't define what's spiritual for us. And then we, we saw the ascetic. That's the third person. And, and that's the person that self-denies himself. In other words, the mystic says, I'm spiritual because of what I experienced and you didn't experience. The ascetic says, I'm spiritual because of what I don't have and, and what you do have. I don't have nice clothes. I don't have nice things. I've self-denied myself. Therefore, that makes me spiritual. Listen, none of those things mortify these works of the flesh. None of those things mortify the works of the flesh. The mortification of these five things begins in our mind. And, and that's the key point you need to get this morning. When, when God is telling us to deal with some of these issues in our life, the first place of the battle begins in our mind. And we saw that in, in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. But, but our mind can't achieve the victory. And so when our mind gets right with God and seeks the right thing, we still need God's help to achieve victory. I need Him every hour. We just sang it. What a tremendous testimony. I don't know about you. I find myself like literally needing Him every minute some days. I need him every hour because it's the Spirit of God that completes this mortification process. And so God wants us to mortify some deeds in our life, to, to cut off, to, to, to make as dead some deeds. And here's the second key principle you want to get. The power to put these off and to mortify these deeds is not in our willpower. Stop trying to be a Christian. You might try to be a Christian in here. Listen, it's hard work, ain't it? And you, 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 at the end of the day, leave yourself tired, exhausted, and defeated. Because we cannot do it. The, the power to put off and to mortify these things is not in our willpower or in the power of our flesh. Legalist, mystic, ascetic. It's in the power and strength of the Spirit of God. We have to learn to have a right relationship with God through His Word and through His Spirit so that these things can be mortified. Now, I want to I show you Romans chapter 8 because Romans, if you don't get anything else this morning, you need to get Romans chapter 8 because this is, this is the key to victory, to mortify the deeds of our flesh. Romans 8 verses 9 to 13, the Bible says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. In other words, if you're saved, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, we studied this a couple of weeks ago, God performed a spiritual surgery on you. And he cut you away from your old man, your old nature. And the Spirit of God came inside of you and sealed you unto eternal life. Because the Bible says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're none of His. You're not saved. So either you have Him or you don't have Him. Verse 10, now if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit 
that dwelleth in you. In other words, the Spirit of God is resurrection power. It's the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I thought Jesus raised himself from the dead. He did. And and the Spirit of God had a hand in that as well. And it's resurrection power. And that is the power of the Spirit of God in our life as a child of God. It's, It's the power to quicken, to make alive who we are in Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And God gives you the answer right there in verse 13. It's the Spirit of God that is able to mortify, to make dead the deeds of the body. Now, Now, do you remember Colossians? That's where we started, right? Colossians told us, mortify, therefore, your members upon the earth. Make them dead. How do I do that? Do I try harder? Do I try to be more of a Christian? No, you don't do it that way. You do it through the power of God's Spirit working in our lives. Does that make sense? And so listen, your sin nature and my sin nature hasn't changed in the 21st century any more than the, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the first century. The truth is that our sin nature is just as vile and wicked as it is when we were lost, unsaved. So God didn't make you better because you're a Christian. God did a spiritual surgery that cut you away from your old man, but you're still in the flesh. You're not of it anymore, but you're still in it. And your old man, your sinful nature is just as wicked and as sinful as it was when you were lost. That's why we need the mortifying power of the Spirit of God as a reality in our life, and we need it every day. We need it every hour. And so these things, and and I wanted to just set that up this morning because I want to give you the key to victory, and the key is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And as we go through this list, there are some pretty nasty things that we're going to talk about. And I know we have kids in the room, so I'm going to take the high road this morning. And I'm going to go about 30,000 feet. And and once we get our children's ministry going in a couple of weeks, maybe we'll come back and have this conversation with some adult language. But this morning, we're going to take the high road based on the, 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 the congregation this morning. There are five things that are perverse that God tells us to deal with. Number one, he tells us to deal with fornication. He tells us to deal with fornication. That needs to be mortified in our life. And I would have you understand that fornication is nothing more than a work of the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse 19 says, The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. This is something that in a believer's life can be present but should be mortified. It was in your life probably as an unsaved person, and if it wasn't, it certainly is in our culture and in our world. And it needs to be dealt with in the Christian's life. God tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that that our body is not for fornication. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13, it says, meat for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication. But... It's for the Lord. And so without, again, explicitly defining this, I think every adult understands what this is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 tells us to flee fornication. Flee it. Flee it. 
How do you do that? In the power of the Spirit of God in your life. You flee from it. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3 says, This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. I mean, God, God is very precise on this deed of the flesh, this work of the flesh that needs to be dealt with, listen, in saints' lives, in faithful brethren's lives. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Ah, well, it's just a character flaw that I have. God says, let it not be named once. And and listen, if you're in the room and you would say, I have the testimony that it could be named once, don't let it be named again. Let the power of God's Spirit work in your life in such a way that that is dealt with, it's made dead once and for all because you're looking for the appearing of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Amen? The second thing that he mentions, and we're going to hit these really quick for time's sake, uncleanness. Again, that is, that is filthiness of mind, filthiness of thoughts, dirty humor, perversion. That is many times in the scripture connected with fornication. You see it in 2 Corinthians 12. Again, this is a work of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness is mentioned in Galatians 5 and verse 19. The third thing that is mentioned is inordinate Affection, and again, we could, we could spend a Sunday on every one of these, but we don't have time. The key is get victory through the power of the Spirit of God. Inordinate affection is just depraved passion. It's uncontrollable and vile and misguided desire. And there's a, there's a reference back in Ezekiel 23 that you can look at concerning Israel and Jerusalem. And, and listen, Jerusalem turned their back on a right relationship with God and pursued other relationships that were inappropriate. The fourth thing is evil concupiscence. You don't use that word every, every day, do you? <laughs> you probably didn't have that one come up at the, at the water fountain at work this week. Evil concupiscence. And again, wicked sensual desire and lust. You see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. And, and the verse gives you a little bit of insight that it's just a perverted thought life and lust that's, that's synonymous with lost people. God says, listen, you're saints. <laughs> you're faithful brethren. Don't let this stuff have victory in your life. It needs to be mortified. Don't entertain it. Don't, don't tolerate it. Don't excuse it. Let the Spirit of God deal with it. And then lastly, covetousness. And, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And, and again... I want to be careful here, but but covetousness is idolatry, but specific to the context of Colossians 3, it it links in with coveting things and people that are not yours. Specifically speaking, Exodus 20 and verse 7 says, covet, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And so listen, and I want to move on for, for time's sake and for audience sake with our children, but listen, of these five things... God does not say, get a coping mechanism to deal with this. 
God does not say get accountability partners for these things. God does not say get a support group for these things. The Word of God says that these are things that have to be mortified, made dead, and the only key to victory is through the Spirit of God in your life. That's it. That's the only key that you have. And if they're not being mortified, then the truth is they're probably present in your life. And God help us to be a people that put off and mortify the things that connect us to our old sinful life. I mean, listen, we ought to look like Christ. We ought to look like Christians. What do Christians look like? They look like Christ. They live like Christ. And those, those, those things have no place in our life. That, that is lost Gentile behavior. Okay, so, so point number two were things that we needed to mortify. Are we good? Are, we, are, we, are you guys okay? Can you stay in a few more minutes? Okay, point number three. There are some things that need to be put off. Okay, now... Now, putting, putting off and mortifying, those are kind of two different terms, right? Mortify is to make dead. So there are some things that just need to die, spiritually speaking, in our life. And those five things that we mentioned, they need to die. They need to die in our individual walk with the Lord. They need to die in our churches. There's no place for those things as a child of God. They needed to die in Colossae among the saints and the faithful brethren. And now the Spirit of God says, okay, there's some things that you need to also put off. Verse 8, but now ye also put off, and the next two words are really important. How many of these? I just wanted to make sure you could read English like I. So all in the Greek means, uh, okay, so anyways, just a funny, but listen, put off all of these, and as we go through this list, you're going to be able to look in your Bible and circle the ones that you do really good at. But God's going to say, you know what, there's, there's no excuse. All of these need to be put off. And, and you know, God made me upset when he wrote this passage. Because the first one he deals with is anger, right? Put all these off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. And again, these things are connected to our old sinful nature. These are things... That before we had a relationship with God in Christ Jesus, they were just a normal part of our life. But now we're called to be different because we have resurrection power living in us. The, the companion passage of Colossians 3 is Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I'd like to just read that so that you see kind of a little more clarity on this passage. Ephesians 4 verses 20 to 24. It says, But, but ye have, have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation the former lifestyle the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness and, and I just wanted to go there to show us Listen, our old man, and I'm not, I ain't being funny, I ain't talking about your dad, all right? I'm talking about your old man, your old sin nature, the old you before Christ, the BC you. Your old man and my old man is corrupt and it has deceitful lusts. And God tells us that the new man, and by the way, the new man is Christ, the new man is righteousness 
and true holiness. And I, I find that, that, that very interesting that it says true holiness. So if there's a true holiness, there's probably a false holiness. The false holiness would be the legalist. I'm holy because of all the rules and regulations I follow. You know people like that? I'm holy because of these spiritual experiences that I have that you don't have. I'm holy because I don't do what, what you do. I don't have nice things. I, I discipline my body and my flesh, and so that makes me... That's false holiness. God says there's true holiness, and it only comes from putting on the new man. And so what we see in this passage is we see sins of personal attitudes. We see sins of personal attitudes, and these sins, just like the previous sins that we mentioned, they need to be dealt with, but they need to be dealt with the right way. They need to be taken off, put in the closet, and never put on again. I mean, how many of you have more clothes in your closet than you could ever wear? You know what I'm talking about? And there's that, you know, there, there's that one shelf, right, that's got the stuff that you haven't worn in God knows how long, Right? And so some of us, you know, we ain't high school skinny anymore, and so we can't even. But we love that shirt. You know what I'm talking about? We love that pair of pants, because when I did fit in those pants, mm, I look good. Okay. Okay. Well, listen. God says that these things need to be put off. They need to go in the closet. They never need to come out again. They never need to come out again. The first one is anger. Okay, having a short temper, short fuse, being able to explode. Listen, there's probably a reason that's the first one on the list. Because Jay's preaching the sermon, that's why it's the first one on the list. There's a reason that one is first. And the place that we fail first many times in that area is in our home. Amen? And the second place that we fail in that area is at our church. That's where we fail in that area. God says we need to take anger, we need to put it off. We need to take it off, put it off, because that's old man clothing. It's old man clothing, sin nature clothing. Ephesians 4 and verse 26 says this, Be ye angry, and you say, hallelujah, God says I can be angry. Read the rest of it. (laughs) Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And so the verse is going to tell you very clearly that you can only be angry one day at a time. And you got to get right before sundown. Now, right now, we're in the summer months. Thank God. We can stretch it a little further. The sun doesn't go down until about 8 p.m., 7.30, 8 p.m. In the fall and winter, we got to get right a lot earlier in the day. I mean, if we're going to take the Bible literally, right? Listen, you know, the reality is we don't have an anger problem. Even, you know, Titus 1, let me read the verse. When it talks about a pastor, a bishop, he's got to be blameless, the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not soon angry, not soon angry. So, so the reality is we, I, it's not that I have an anger problem. It's, I have a problem walking in the power of the spirit of God. When anger becomes a reality or or we excuse it by saying, that's just my personality. What you've just said is your personality is greater than the resurrection power of Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God in your life. And friend, it is not. Your personality is nothing more than sinful old man that needs to be put in the closet. Put, put it off in the power of Christ because your personality, no offense, just like my personality, is nothing but sinful. It's nothing but sinful. So we need to deal with anger. We need to put it off. 
uh, this is hard to preach (laughs) because I need it. Number two is wrath. Wrath is kind of anger exercised, if you will. It's It's the outworking of anger. Now, let me just tell you this. God exercises wrath, and God exercises wrath in perfection and in holiness and justly. Does that make sense? God, God never sins, and yet he does exercise wrath. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. But I want you to understand that wrath from a human standpoint, is just a work of the flesh. We find it again in that list in Galatians chapter 5. It's not on the screen, but when you read Galatians 5 verses 19 to 20, and it lists all these different works of the flesh, wrath is one of them. Do you know that when we act out in wrath, we substitute ourselves in the place of God? Because, Because our anger and our wrath is not righteous and it is not holy. Only God is holy and righteous. And, and we exercise it basically as taking his place. And that's not good. You know, James chapter 1 tells, this, tells us this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse 20 is really important. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So if you exercise wrath, just know the end result will not be the righteousness of God. It just won't be. You can exercise it all you want, but at the end of the day, God says, you know what, actually, you need to put that off. You need to let me handle it. God's wrath is perfect. God's anger is perfect. Ours is not. It's a work of our flesh. Number three is malice, just maliciousness, ill will toward other people. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that, uh, brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. And, and God tells us a pretty unique thing here, I think, in this passage, that children generally don't have ill will toward other people. They don't have ill will toward, they're not malicious toward other people. And listen, if you paid attention to the news for any amount of time, we have, we have all of these things that we're going through in this list that are exposing themselves. What you, re- what you need to realize is that the flesh is strong and powerful and active, and lost people are acting like lost people, and carnal Christians are acting like lost people. And the cure is Christ. The cure is Christ. And so God says you need to put malice off, malicious intent, ill will toward other people. It needs to be taken off, put in the closet, and never put on again. It deals with your motivation. 1 Peter 2 says that that malice needs to be laid aside. All malice needs to be laid aside. The next one is blasphemy. And blasphemy is equating yourself to someone you're not, generally when we read a word, the word blasphemy, we, we, we think of people equating themselves with who? With God, right? And, and so uh, Mark chapter 7 tells us that from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Well, I'm a, I'm a really nice guy. <laughs> We're all sinners, man. We're broke. We need, we need forgiveness. We need redemption. 
This, this comes out of the heart of all men. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And so blasphemy certainly is equating yourself with God or, or you know, there's a cool verse in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9 where people uh, equate themselves as Jews and they're really not. And God says, that's blasphemy. You, you say you're a Jew and you're really not even a Jew. It's blasphemy. It's, it's equating yourself to be someone you're really not. And then lastly, filthy communication out of your mouth. Filthy communication out of your mouth. That needs to be put off. Let no corrupt, Ephesians 4 and verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And listen, that's a powerful passage that, that tells us that we need to measure our words before they come out. And the two things we need to ask is, number one, is what I'm about to say going to edify somebody else? Edify is to build up. Is this going to build up and strengthen the person on the receiving end? Is this going to minister grace to the hearer? Now, I'm preaching to me now. But listen, if it doesn't meet that qualification, then we probably need to shut up. I probably need to shut my mouth. Uh, You know, if it's not going to edify and if it's not going to minister grace... It's not going to reflect Christ. So let's put it off. And then lastly, there, there are... Okay, so those are sins of our attitude. Anybody circle those? Which, which ones, uh, you know... Man, I'm, I'm four out of five. Okay, God said all these. Put all these off. And then, and then there's that last one, man. Lying one to another. And this is sins against other believers, specifically in the area of lying. Anybody in here like getting lied to? Raise your hand if you like getting lied to. Okay, you're sick in the head if you do. That's, that's really messed up. Man, nobody likes a liar. The Bible says in Psalm 116 and verse 11, I said in my haste, all men are... All men. We're all liars. I do want you to understand that the spiritual father that we had before we got saved is the devil. And the devil is the father of lies. John 8 and verse 44. You're of your father, the devil, the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Isn't it interesting? You have kids. God teaches you so much about, about life and, and about a walk with him. And, and, you know, I know with our girls and, and you know, with you and your kids, listen, you, you didn't have to teach your kids how to lie, did you? They just kind of started doing it. It's like, why, why are you saying that? <laughs> are you lying to me? No. <laughs> okay, so now you told two lies. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Man, it, it shows the influence of our fallen nature. And it shows the influence of, of, of our spiritual father, the devil, as lost people. Can I just tell you that there is no place for lying in the life of a Christian? There's no place for lying inside the church. There's no place for lying in your business, on your job, in your marriage, with your children, with your finances. There's no place for lying. I do, I do want you to understand that God tells us in Titus 1 and verse 2, God himself cannot lie. And when we walk in lying, we do not reflect the image and glory of God. As a matter of fact, we reflect... The old spiritual father that we had, the devil. 
You say, well, this is a business deal. It's outside of church. If you're saved, there's never a business deal outside of Jesus. He seals you. He is with. There's never, ever a time where you're not in Christ and Christ is in you. So you can't have your own life and church life. That's not the way it works. God says these things need to be put off. You don't need to put it off only on Sunday morning. You need to put it off and never pick it up again. Okay, so, man, I feel like I'm getting myself like, you know, the left, right while I'm preaching this. We need to go so we can get done. Let's move to the good part. God says that, that we need to put some things on. We need to put some things on. And I want to read verses 10 and then verses, uh, we'll read 10 down to 14. And, and so let's, let's read this and we'll, we'll start winding it down. Okay, so the Bible says, mortify some things, put off some things. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. By the way, that, that terminology is who you are. You are the elect of God, holy and beloved. So because of who you are, put these things on. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity which is the bond of perfectness. Real quick, listen, if you paid attention and hadn't fallen asleep to this point, and you said, yeah, I, I, there's some things I need to mortify in my body, and there's some things I need to put off, or maybe you got unscathed all the way through this point, and you would say, I don't do any of those things. Well, listen, just because you put off those previous things doesn't mean that you put on these things. So, so there has to be a taking off, a putting off, but there also has to be a, a putting on of this new man. And each of these is just a symbolic characteristic of Christ. It's, it's just Christ. God wants us to put these things on. It's, there are eight things mentioned. By the way, eight is the number of new beginnings in the Bible. God doesn't count like we count. We count one to ten and start over. God counts one to seven. And then the eighth is a new beginning. God counts again one to seven. He counts in a series of sevens. And so there are eight things that are mentioned. Number one, bowels of mercy. That just means having compassion, pity, sympathy toward other people. And God says we should put that on. We should be merciful. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, If any have fellowship of the Spirit, if any have bowels and mercies. 1 John 3 and verse 17 says, Listen, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It's having mercy, it's having compassion on other people, sympathy toward other people. If you're not careful, if you're not careful, and you don't put this on as a Christian, you'll develop a critical spirit toward other people. Well, they deserve what they got. They're in the position that they're in because of their own life choices. And maybe that's true. But you were in the position you were in because of your life choices. 
And Jesus Christ had compassion on you. He showed mercy on you. So listen, we ought to always be compassionate. We ought to feel the pain of others, man. We ought to have sympathy and pity toward other people. However you interpret the news, it doesn't concern me. But you need to have compassion. You need to have compassion on people. Number two, we need to have kindness toward each other. Titus 3 and verse 4 says this, But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. Do you know that God showed kindness to us? He sent Jesus Christ. I mean, a lot of times we think about God, we think about His love, we think about His mercy. But God even says that that in His kindness, our Savior appeared. I mean, He exercised kindness toward us. Ephesians 4 and verse 32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And we'll get to those in a second. But I'm just telling you, man, kindness is characteristic of Christ. Number three, humbleness of mind. The opposite of humility is pride. God says we need to put on humbleness of mind because, by the way, who are we? Who are we? Who are you? Who am I? We're nobody. Christ is everything. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20 when Paul was meeting with the Ephesian elders, he says, he's recounting his ministry experience there, and he says, you know, I served the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Philippians 2 and verse 3 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So what that means is, If you want to exercise humility, the person to your left and and your right is better than you. You say, no, they're not. Well, you're not humble. (laughs) Esteem them better than you. Well, they're not. Well, uh, maybe you need to work on that. Maybe you need to put something on. The, The fourth one is meekness. By the way, meekness is a fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit of God. Meekness isn't something you can fabricate fabricate in your flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 23 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You can't make yourself meek. Only the spirit of God can do that. And by the way, if the spirit of God does it, you probably don't even know what's happening. But other people do. Other people do. There was only one person in the Bible that could call himself meek. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's God. But for the rest of us, the minute that we say that we're meek, well, we're probably not. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit didn't fabricate that in our life. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness, long-suffering, these are things that need to be put on. Long-suffering is the capacity and capability to suffer a long time. Anybody like suffering? Raise your hand. (laughs) Anybody like suffering a long time? Okay, no. Again, long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that he himself was a pattern of all long-suffering. Let me just read the verse. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And and listen, Christ is long-suffering. We're called to be long-suffering. The old man in your life 
knows nothing of these things. The old man doesn't want to suffer for five seconds. Like right now, you feel like you're suffering because I'm not done, and you want to go eat lunch. Amen? And we're going to use this sermon as an illustration of long-suffering for another hour. No? Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> but listen, our old man, we don't know anything about these things. These are all things that come with the new man. God gives us the capacity and capability to do these things. Forbearing one another. In other words, bearing each other, uh, foregoing or withholding from action toward each other, give and take within the body of Christ. God says that we are to forbear one another. Ephesians 4 and verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Can I just tell you that you have to be, you have to give latitude in the body of Christ. It can't be your way or the highway. And it can't be my way or the highway. You can't be rigid in the body of Christ. You have to learn to give and take. You have to learn to give and take. You say, I don't want to. Well, you need to, you need to put on forbearance and, and exercise that one to another. God says that when we love each other, well, there's things that we'll, that we'll forego with each other because we love each other. That'll help your marriage, by the way. That'll help your relationship with your children, by the way. And then the next one, forgiving one another. Now, I probably will park it here for just a second. I haven't taken a rabbit trail yet, so this may be the first one. The Bible says that we are to forgive one another as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So let's, some of us may need to read that again. Because if Christ forgave you, you are called to exercise forgiveness. You're called to forgive one another. Forgiveness can only be given. Listen, trust has to be earned, but forgiveness has to be given. You say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. It doesn't matter. Forgive them anyway. You didn't deserve to be forgiven. Listen, in your sinful, broken, anti-Christ self, and your rebellion against God and His Word and your breaking of His commandments and His law and you and your sin nature... You did not deserve God's forgiveness. And yet Christ died, friend, listen, not for his sin, your sin and my sin. He, he, he exercised forgiveness. He was willing to give forgiveness. Ephesians 4 and verse 32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If you've experienced Christ's forgiveness, you can and you should forgive one another. And if you do not, you are in sin and you are backslidden against the Lord. And I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to be critical of you. But what I'm telling you is the truth from God's word. If you have experienced Christ's forgiveness, you can forgive anybody. If you cannot forgive, you are probably not saved. You say, I don't like that. Well, I'm sorry. Because only the new man is able to truly forgive one another. Only the new man is able to forgive even as Christ has forgiven him or her. 
You say, you don't know what happens in my marriage. You don't know what happens on my job. You don't know what happens in this church. You don't know how people in this church hurt me. And what they say, listen, I don't. And I don't have to. I don't have to. I'm not the judge. I know this. If you're saved, you've experienced Christ's forgiveness. And that means that you can forgive other people. And then the Bible says above all these things, and I wish we had like, man, six weeks to cover all this material. The Bible says above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It is the bond of maturity. Charity is the bonding agent. Listen, when you put all of these other seven things on, the the clothing of the new man, the thing that ties it all together, the belt, if you will, that, that secures it all in place, is charity. It, it, it's charity. It's love. It's, it, it's charity. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 says, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Okay. So how do we do on that list? <laughs> you know, the danger is that we put off some things maybe from our life but we're still walking around spiritually naked because we haven't put on the right things. We haven't put on the things of the new man. So we've stopped doing some things and we've let the Spirit of God work in our life that way, but we haven't put on the right things and we still don't look like Christ. God says you need to put them on. Let's get to this last point we're done. Look, let me encourage you who we are in Christ now because that's the last point. And it's actually back up in verse 11. I just kind of tucked it in at the end of the passage. And I'll make a point and then we're done. But I just want to remind you that who we are in Christ now is not who we used to be before we got saved. And I want you to look at verse 11 again. Because if our culture needs anything today, it's verse 11. It's verse 11. The Bible says, wherein, and the point is in Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And if I had another hour, I would, I would go through each of those classifications and explain to you what they mean. But let me just give you the, the summary. Listen, in Christ, there is no national distinction. There are not American Christians and Albanian Christians and Belize Christians and Zambian Christians. None of that exists in Christ. There are no national distinctions in Christ. There are no racial distinctions in Christ. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no circumcision or uncircumcision in Christ. There are no religious or denominational distinctions in Christ. There are no social distinctions in Christ. Bond, free, rich, poor. Listen, upper, middle, lower. There are no classes in Christ. And even Galatians 3 and verse 28 says, you know what? There's not even male or female in Christ. You're all one in Christ Jesus. None of these distinctions exist in Christ because Christ is all. And he is in all. And he needs to be in all to fix what we have going on. The key is not reform and protest and riots and legislation. The key is Christ and only Christ. And here's the sad reality. There are some people on this planet 
that are never going to see Christ, listen to me very carefully, they're never going to see Christ until they see him at the great white throne judgment face to face because they've never seen him in the life of professing believers. And at the moment of the great white throne judgment, they will stand and give an account for their sin and be judged guilty and sent to a devil's hell for all of eternity. Because saints and faithful brethren haven't mortified what needs to be mortified, haven't put off what needs to be put off, and haven't put on what needs to be put on. Now let me, let me, let me make one more point. We're going to start end where we started. Forget the lost world for a second. What is Christ going to see? When he appears, what is Christ going to see when he appears? Listen, is he going to appear and see us walking in our old man, saved, sealed, eternally secure in him? But when he looks at us and sees us, is he going to see the old man that he saved us from? Or is he going to see himself in us? And I think that's what he wants to see. Amen? I think that's what would please him when he appears. And friends, he's going to appear very, very soon. Guys, let's bow our heads and we'll pray as we dismiss. Father, we need you this morning. Lord, we, we, can't, we can't walk the Christian life in our power and in our flesh. We confess that. I confess it. Lord, it's, it's difficult, it's frustrating, it's hard, and it's fruitless. But Lord, what we need... What we need is the victory that we have through the Spirit of God in our life. And, and because of that, we can, we can mortify the things that are not pleasing to you. We can put off the things that don't look like you. And through the power of your Spirit, God, we can put on the new man. And Father, we ought to be able to see Christ in each other. We ought to be able to, to be an example of Christ's likeness in our community and in our city and on our job and in our family. And so some of us today, God, myself included, some of us today, we, we, we may need to make a decision. There are things that need to be mortified. And without a show of hands, without coming to the altar, there, there may be something in your life, those five things that we mentioned, that just needs to be made dead today. Today, make that commitment to the Lord. And Father, some of us may have the, the testimony that, that we don't struggle with those things, but there is a whole lot of the old man and the deeds of attitudes that keep creeping up in our life. God, help us through the power of your Spirit to put those things off. Some of us may need to re-examine that that list of things and say, you know what? This needs to be put off forever. God, some of us may just need to come to the realization we, we haven't put on the new man. We haven't put on the things that reflect Christ. People aren't seeing Christ in our life because they don't see bowels of mercy and they don't see kindness and forbearance and forgiveness and humility and charity. They don't see those things. And we need to put those things on through the power of the Spirit of God in our life. Father, whatever you want to accomplish in our heart and life, we give it to you. We trust you with it. We pray that you forgive us. Give us the strength and power to walk with you through your Holy Spirit and through your word. We love you and we ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank those that were streaming again today. Thank you guys very much for joining us, and uh, God bless you. I hope you have a great week.